Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Hey, we are going to be continuing our series of prayer. Uh, Pastor Ken um, came two weeks ago um, before our birthday, which was last week. Woohoo! Um, and he he talked about this topic of prayer, and we're going to continue on this series. We're going to discover a little bit more about prayer being active in our lives, and also the miraculous prayers that we find in Scripture. And today, I want to speak to you about the basics of of what prayer is, and how we should have prayer as a part of our life. Um, just a quick sidebar. For those of you who don't have never been to I, I Love My Church Day, who's whoever know who knows what that is? Okay, a couple of us. So I love my church day. We're going out to Squamish. It's not a service. It is us serving. So it is us going into that community. We're going into where our building is and we're going to love on that building. We're going to continue to build it up. So all of those details will be sent out to you. We won't be having a service out there, but it is us actually being able to be active in the building and the rebuilding of that place. So it's really exciting. So if for those of you going, oh, what does that mean? Is it like a, a different type of service? Yes, it's your service to the Squamish community. Cool? All right. Awesome. So prayer, you know, it's really interesting because we hear all these miraculous stories about, about prayer making the way for these things to happen in people's lives. And we all go, man, like that's, that's insane how this Avant Life Church got like this building like, and then got another building. And we hear these miraculous stories, right? And we get to live in them. But, but we so often hear it and we're going, where is it evident in my personal life? Where is it evident in my life? I need to see the miraculous things happen in my life. And we have this desire to have those moments with God, but the hectic lifestyle that we live actually pushes prayer to the dusty corners of our life, where we end up using prayer as a novelty around dinners and bedtimes, rather than actually having it a part of our our lifestyle, that prayer has to be entwined in everything to do with our Christian living. It becomes a novelty. It becomes the topic of a miracle, and, and then we push prayer aside. And it's, it's like that when you go to your grandparents' house and like there's the china cabinet and prayers like tucked away, dusted off nice and shiny, but never used. I'm like, you know, I actually decided because I got given a really nice teacup, like one of the fancy ones. And I like kept it away for so long because I'm like, oh, it's so precious. It can't be touched. I just use it all the time now. Like, because I'm like, well, like I'm not taking it to heaven with me. Like I may as well actually use it. And then um, one of them broke, but whatever. <laughs> it's all right. Like, I'm, not, I'm fine about it. But we do that with prayer. Like, we put it in, like, this china cabinet. And it, like, sits there and we use it on, like, special occasions. It becomes this thing that's, that's reserved for Christmas or reserved for Easter or reserved for our moments when everything is falling apart. And it becomes this dusty thing that we don't actually have as an active part in our Christian living. And many of us actually probably sitting here have a frustrated prayer life. Like, we may not want to admit it, but, but prayer, our prayer life is something that we're like, oh man, I wish I had like more time to pray and I wish I, I gave God more of my prayer time and I wish I made like more space in my life, but we never actually do anything about it. And so it just remains in the dusty corner of our life. And we want to so have this active prayer life, but we don't know how we actually can achieve that. Instead of letting uh, prayer be the thing that fuels our life, it becomes the remnants of the fuel of a very empty tank. 
And so prayer is this thing that is undergirding in our Christian living that we actually really don't call on that much. So what is prayer? Is it those meal times and those bedtime moments? Yes, it is. And we shouldn't be in practice of those. But it is so much more than just the novelty. It is not a novelty thing that we get to have in our Christian living to go, I'm a Christian and I have this thing called prayer. It's something that needs to be active in our life. It isn't something that's actually unknown to this world. Did you know prayer is actually considered to be a universal language? Like if, if you go into different religions, you ask them about prayer and they know what, t- what, what we're talking about. They know what prayer is. Actually, most people find when they walk into a church, it's not prayer that makes them go, oh, that's weird. It's, it's our worship because every worship has a different expression or whatever. So people actually understand prayer. They, they, they're familiar with it. And it's not that prayer is unknown to us, but maybe it's a question of, is it intimate? Is it something that's intimate in our life? We can talk about prayer. We can talk about the fact that I'll pray for you later. But is is prayer actually a part of our intimacy with God? The question of prayer for us isn't a matter of what it is, but of how pervasive it is in our lives. And so we're going to look at how Jesus teaches us about prayer. And we, we read about patterned prayer that Jesus actually shows us in both the Gospels of, of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke. But prior to that, in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. This is how we get to come to Jesus, is actually being teachable. If you want to have an active prayer life, do you know you can actually ask Jesus to teach us how to enter into that active prayer life? His disciples were familiar with the concept of prayer. Their culture was full of this thing called prayer. Prayer was very well known to the Jewish people. It was very well known to the people of Israel. So it wasn't a foreign thing. It's not like they didn't know what prayer was. But they were asking Jesus to show them how to pray in a a certain way. It was actually a lot of people, a lot of scholars um, actually prefer calling this the, the disciples' prayer. We refer to it as the Lord's Prayer. But it was actually the disciples asking Jesus, show us then how to pray. So it's, it's the prayer of the believer going, show me how to pray, Lord God. Like, Jesus, show us how to pray. And we find in both Luke and Matthew the Lord's Prayer. But first, let's look at prior to that. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 7, if you have your Bibles, grab them open, let those pages sparkle. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> chapter 6, verse 5. And, it's, and Jesus says this to them. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. This is how Jesus actually prefaces prefaces the Lord's Prayer, or the Disciples' Prayer, as many people like to call it. He, He actually, before he gives them the pattern, he gives them the attitude in which they come. And so it's funny how we got to pause for a second because we're kind of like, yeah, give me the pattern. That'll, that'll give me all the answers. That'll answer all my prayers. But Jesus is like, hang on. Yes, I'm, I'm going to show you how you should pray. 
So I'm going to show you how you should pray, which is through an attitude. It's through a positioning of your heart. Notice this, before Jesus, uh, Jesus doesn't actually have a problem with these people praying in the synagogues or on the streets. It's not the location that he's, he's talking to here when, in regards to the hypocrites. It's actually, the location wasn't the issue, the intent was. Why? It says, they're standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. This wasn't a matter of location. Like, we can pray in the house of God, in this building, in this church, and I would like to say that we would hope we're not being like hypocrites. The location isn't what Jesus is, is zoning in on. It's actually on their intent to be seen by others. He is warning us not to make prayer the conversation between... Uh, he's warning us not to make prayer the conversation between you and God to become a conversation about you in light of God for others. He's actually saying, no... Your conversation with, with God is you and God. It's, it's not for others. It's not about God for others. It's to God, you and God. See, Jesus is actually challenging here exhibitionalism. Exhibitionalism is something that is not an ancient thing. It's something that is pervasive even in this day and age where it becomes all about the exhibit or the appearance of something rather than the heart of something, the detail of something. Exhibitionalism isn't talking about keeping your faith private either. Jesus isn't saying, oh, so keep your faith tucked away. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about you need to have a genuineness of relationship with God that is expressed in prayer. It's not about making a loud clanging noise so that everyone can see how grand Avant Life Church is because we are so holy because we're praying so loudly for others. I'm not, yes, obviously we pray for others. I mean our prayers being for others rather than for God. He is warning us to make, not to make our prayer the conversation between you and God about God about ourselves for others to hear. Exhibitionalism is something that we all have to face. It's something that will challenge us all. By the way, exhibitionalism, depending on your expression, your personality, doesn't mean you're an exhibitionalist or not. Like Colin over here, honestly, I can tell you this, is one of the most humble, heartfelt people. He does things very intentionally. But during worship, you'll hear him go like this, woo! Like, won't you? But I can honestly tell you, because I know the guy, that doesn't come from a place of like, hey guys, listen to my woo! Like, it's not. It actually comes from the wellspring of life that is bubbling up in him. So we got to make sure that when we talk about the topic of exhibitionalism, we're not going, well, they're loud, so they're exhibitionalists. That's incorrect. That's a, it's a judgment of the heart, of the intent so don't start going around, hey, you're too noisy in church. Uh, you're being an exhibitionalist. Oh, that's just being judgmental. And we know what Matthew 7 says about that. Judge not. We are not the judge. But in our own hearts, this is about us receiving the word. This isn't about receiving a word to smack onto somebody else. This is about us receiving a word to be renewed by the spirit and renewed by scripture. Is in in this whole thing of the hypocrites praying loudly and making a big noise, Jesus is challenging the exhibitionalist prayer. 
He's challenging us to make sure that we're not making prayer about how we appear. It's really interesting. It says in verse 6, pray, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. It's Jesus encouraging the secret place, the practice of the secret place. See, this teaches us that what happens in the secret place matters. It's really interesting how in our secret place, it can be a place of anxiety. It can be a place where we fall into temptation. It can be a place where we feel insecure. The secret place is a really interesting place. Like in secret, no one's watching, but God's watching. And it's and Jesus is actually saying to us here, that secret place is designed for prayer. Isn't it funny how when we're in the secret place, it's so often the place where the enemy tries to get us? That when you're on your computer late at night and you're in your secret place and you're all by yourself, the enemy's like, hey, you should go to that website. Or when you're looking at yourself in the mirror in the secret place and you're seeing the, the lack of value that you have of yourself, you hear the enemy say, yeah, aren't you worthless? And the secret place that Jesus is talking about, he's actually saying it should be a place of prayer. But the enemy has used it to be a place where temptation comes in and steals the holiness of our relationship with God. And so the practice of the secret place is one that we need to start flexing our muscles in a bit more because it's been taken so many times by the enemy's work and been distorted instead of it being a place where we can go and be revealed to the Father who sees all. We need to practice the secret place. And Jesus shows us this, that actually the intent of it, the intent of your secret place is prayer. Make it about prayer. So the challenge for us as we take away all of these words that we find in Scripture is what are we doing in the secret place? When you're home alone by yourself, what do you do? I was looking on my phone earlier as to like, you know, how you can check how many times you pick up your phone and like, you know, screen time and everything. Oh, it's honestly like, it's such an interesting thing. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, why do I look at my phone so much? Like, why do I pick up my phone so much? It's because in, in that moment of nothing, we have to fill it with something. But we never fill it with prayer. But Jesus is saying to us, actually, take this time to fill it with prayer. Have a conversation with God. The practice of the secret place not only keeps our heart in line with the righteousness of God, but it reminds us that when our friends don't see us, when our spouse doesn't see us, when... The, the person that we're desperately in love with doesn't see us, when our family doesn't see us, when our boss doesn't see us, when no one seems to see us and we feel invisible, the God who is unseen sees us. And it's this affirmation that actually you weren't meant to be unseen. You can't, did you know that you actually can't be unseen? Like you can't, it doesn't work that way. Why? Because God sees all. So in God creating you as his creation, he created you to be seen. You cannot be unseen. Isn't that amazing? That the times where you feel the most alone, you can't actually be alone. Like it just doesn't exist. Like the feeling of loneliness, I get it. It's a real thing. But you being alone is not a reality. Like why? Because God can't be not, like God can't not be with you. He can't not be everywhere. And so your loneliness, even though it's a valid feeling that we experience, it's not a reality. 
it's, it's kind of like not true. Isn't that weird? Because there's so many times in my life where I felt so alone and I'm so alone. And, you know, like even my kids, like they have these, ex- these their emotions are growing. They're growing up. Like Levi's going to be 10 in November. And, and I see his like almost 10-year-old emotions start to come out. And, and it's things like loneliness and all of this. And if only I knew at that age that I can never actually be alone, wow, that would have changed my outlook. That's incredible. Like that's crazy. That's actually really cool. That's mind-blowing. You're not alone. Like, I know we say it so like, yeah, you're not alone. Like, praise the Lord. Like, we do. We, we're very loose with our language at times when it comes to our faith. But you can't be alone. Pretty crazy. Furthermore, practice of the secret, actually, secret place actually means a laying down of perception of our faith in God and brings the purity of our faith in God back into focus. So our faith in God, when we're practicing it in the, in the secret place, it brings the purity of our faith in God back into focus. We start to go, I want to walk a life of righteousness because God, I know you're up there and I know you can see. The genuineness of your relationship with God being primary is actually not a display taken in by the eyes around you, but by the eyes above you. And we need to remember that our belief and our relationship with God as being our primary focus has got nothing to do with the eyes around us. Yes, it makes a difference. Letting your light shine is important. But the primary focus is actually the one that comes from above and how he sees. Why? Because he sees you when others don't. This shows us the personal and private prayer, that prayer between just you and God. And it's in this attitude, this attitude, this position that Jesus teaches us that he then gives us this pattern that his disciples so long to know. How do we actually pray? Like, like Jesus, show us how to pray. And we find it in Luke and Matthew. And they both show us Christ's teaching on this. And in, in Luke 11, verse 1 to 4, it says this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day by day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Did you notice a parallel difference between what Jesus said in Matthew and then what he says in Luke? See, in what he says in Matthew is actually, you need to do this. You go into your room, you do this, you and God, you and God. But in this prayer that he's teaching his disciples, it says, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us. So it's changing the tone from being singular to being plural. Because prayer was not just purely meant to be this one thing between just you and God, but Jesus actually opened it up to be something of community. Prayer is actually something that we have in community. Prayer, yes, the power of our community prayer actually comes from a personal prayer, that personal prayer that we see it reflected in Christ's life. Jesus is constantly found praying, whether by himself in a garden or over bread that then turns into a miracle over people. Jesus is in the practice of the personal and the community prayer. And it's something that on both accounts, the attitude needs to be something that reflects a genuineness. You know, the word prayer actually is this humble, earnest, it actually is the word entreaty, and it's this humble request. It's, it's not about the pattern. It's, it's about the position of your heart. It's humble and earnest, which means it's genuine and it's understanding where you're looking to as in you're looking up in humility but it's genuine so it's not this dressed up 
novelty teacup sitting in a cupboard. It's actually a personal thing that from that personal prayer, you can then have the power to bring a community prayer that actually brings about miracles. Did you think about it? When Jesus prays in the Bible, when he has his moments of prayer, he has these private moments with him and God talking. And then when he prays publicly, a miracle happens. Like, imagine if we practice the private, the secret place prayer, and we let that actually be a part of our Christian living a little bit more. Maybe through that practice of the private place, the secret place, we'd start seeing more miracles when it came to community prayers and and seeing those things answered. If we want to see more that miraculous move, maybe, just maybe, if we had our personal prayer life be overflowing, we'd see those things start turning up. We'd have an understanding of the genuineness, the humbleness that comes from our heart to God and in that he moves. Like, this is incredible that Jesus reflects both, both the intimate prayer and the public prayer. And notice the public prayer was not some exhibitionalist thing. See, because Jesus has to tackle that first. Like, for us to actually understand the power of prayer when it comes together, we need to understand that it's not about us. Like, you can do as many Hail Marys publicly as you like, but unless it's submitted unto God and it's for His name and for His sake, guess what? The intent is off. I have to question myself. Have I been a hypocrite in my prayer? Have I been reserving my prayer life for a Saturday night service, a Sunday morning or a Sunday night service? Is my prayer life the most active on the weekend? Prayer is not only for the personal, but it's for the community. I love the parallel difference between you and us that Jesus examples to us. Yes, our prayer should be so, like, in that secret place should be so evident between God and God in you, and no one can see that. But then it should be spilling over so that it affects the disciples. Like it was the community of believers that Jesus was teaching how to pray together, that we would be united in that prayer. In the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer, we, Jesus gives us this outline, and it's a beautiful prayer, and it's one that's been repeated and memorized, and in time, some people have said it as a matter of just repetition, and some people say it very authentically, but it's this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Isn't that one, when you think about the community aspect, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and you're praying that in community, what if the guy next to you is the one you need to forgive, hey? Like, that's like, that's like a wake-up call. It's like you're praying that next to someone that you actually need to forgive, and you're praying it in community. That's a challenge. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And isn't that funny? How, lead us not into temptation. It's a prayer even for the secret place. It's like, God, in my secret place, don't let it be a place of temptation. Let it actually be a place of prayer. So Jesus starts with, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's praise. It's like, I'm, I'm beginning by expressing my love 
to God. At the very beginning is God. It's, it's us expressing our love and our praise to God. And then it's a committing ourselves to God's will. It's, it's this purpose. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm committing myself to your will. It's provision, asking God to provide for our needs. See, this isn't meant to be necessarily repeated verbatim. But he's giving us these things, these principles that we can focus on. Praise. Do we actually spend time praising God? Like I know we sing. And I know we have an awesome band that brings such an incredible spirit of praise and worship. But in our everyday Christian living, do we praise? Yeah, thank you God for the sun and stuff. And like, no, but we, like as, as funny as it is, sometimes we skip over it. And I even listen to my kids when we drive on the way to the bus stop in the mornings, hearing them, God, thank you for today, blah, blah, blah. Like, and it's like it becomes so quickly this methodical thing that it was never intended to be because it was always meant to be prefaced by the attitude. Provision. And then it's saying, pardon us, God, forgive us. It's like, God, you got to deal with all this stuff. And I'm going to deal with all of the stuff that I have against others. It's praying for people. In this prayer, we pray for people. It's saying, I'm going to forgive. I'm, so I'm praying for this person. Lord, I'm praying for my husband. Just forgive him as I, forgive me as I forgive him. That's right. That's the right order. <laughs> but it is, we pray for people. And then it's praying for protection. And man, we need that. Don't forget, we pray, we praise there's purpose, there's provision, there's pardon. We're praying for people and protection. They're all P letters, by the way, and that's really nice and handy. Jesus not only shows us this pattern of prayer, but the principle that partners with the pattern. The word prayer literally means earnest and humble request. So even though the pattern is there, let our prayer be earnest and humble so that we would not fall into the trap of the hypocrites where we repeat things verbatim, hoping that the expression of our holiness would actually give us riches we don't deserve. Christ is empowering us in these instructions to have an earnest, genuine conversation with God. It's about partnering the pattern with the attitudes, and we need to remember that. I remember about... um, a year and a bit ago, I think it was, uh, Ben and Pastor Dan, they had to go out. It was one night. Um, and so Rachel, Dan's wife, and myself and Joel Thurkettle were at my place. And we were just chatting. And Joel gets this phone call. Um, and it's like obviously from Ben or Dan. And he's like, yep, right, cool. Um, no worries. Be there in a sec. Opens our front door. And then you just hear this slam. Like, and, and the doors slammed. And Rachel and I are like, what's going on? Like, like what's actually going on? And so um, what actually had happened is that Dan and Ben had rocked up to our home. And we live in a lovely nature spot. And there was a skunk. And um, being Australian, we're so naive as to the full influence of a skunk. Um, <laughs> But Ben and Dan, I don't know if you guys saw the video from last week, but something about Australians is that we can be quite, uh, we can be pranksters. We can kind of, we use the word stitch up, like we can stitch you up. Um, so we can, we do a good prank and poor Henry um, encountered that. And if you want to watch that, you can, you can get our video from last week recounting the amazing journey of Avant Life this far. Um, 
So what had happened is that Ben and Dan are sitting in the car and the skunk's at our front door. And so they're like, let's call Joel. Joel's inside, let's get Joel to come out. And so they say, hey, Joel, can you um, unlock the front door for us? We're coming in. Um, yeah, sure, no worries. Joel being that lovely, helpful guy that you see at the front door squirting hand sanitizer in your hands, right? Um, so he opens the door and his eyes lock eyes with the skunk and he knows what's about to happen. And the skunk is petrified, obviously, because this like six foot tall Australian guy, probably had hand sanitizer on him at the time, I don't know, is standing there looking at him and slams the door. Now, Joel maybe shouldn't have slammed the door because that actually spooked the skunk even more. And what happened next was this permeating smell throughout my whole house and in the yard. Now, I don't know if you know this, but skunk smell can actually reach your nostrils from 5.6 kilometres away, which is 3.5 miles for all of you following us in that way, and can actually last from anywhere from two weeks to months. The smell of that skunk permeated my house. They tried ketchup, they tried vinegar. It, like There is still a mark on the side of the house from where that skunk let off. And it got in everything. It was everywhere. It stunk. Like, it's disgusting. Like, how can such a cute thing let... Like, I, like when you get to heaven and you get to ask God questions, why that there's this gland in a certain place on this animal can produce that is very curious to me. Like, to, like Northern American animals are, like really unique and crazy. Anyways, but it's this thing of this permeating smell. And it's really interesting because it gets in everything. It's everywhere. It's like, like it takes forever to get it out. And as funny as it was, whenever you would rock up to our house, you were like, skunk's been here. Like, it was everywhere. And, and the lasting effect of it was everywhere. In Ephesians 6, verse 18, I get you wondering how I'm going to tie this all together, right? (laughs) Ephesians 6, verse 18 says this, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. 1 1 Chronicles 16, verse 11 says, Look to the Lord and his strength and seek his face always. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, in Scripture, we see this reoccurring dialogue of having a spiritual reoccurring dialogue. It's, It's a reoccurring, permeating thing that sticks around in our lives. There we go, I tied it in for you. By the time your life is over, did you know that you will have spent six months at stoplights, eight months opening junk mail, a year and a half looking for lost stuff, maybe at a year, Matt? I don't know. And and five years standing in line. Isn't that insane? Do you know what I do when I'm waiting in a line? Do you know what I'm thinking when I'm waiting in a line? I'm like, how come this is taking so long? Like... Like how, like this needs to hurry up. While I'm waiting, I'm wondering about waiting instead of in my waiting, actually using it as an opportunity to talk to God. And so do you know how many nothing moments you have in your week? 
that we then complain about our nothing moments. We literally, like, we read the scripture of don't complain about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, give your requests to the Lord. In your nothing moments, you're literally sitting there complaining about your nothing moments. Or, guess what? You're on your phone. You're doing something like that. But we actually don't divert to prayer first. Think about it. Six months at stoplights. Six months of praying. Eight months opening junk mail. I just throw it in the trash now. Eight months. Eight months praying. A year and a half or two and a half for Matt looking for lost stuff. Now, to be fair, Matt probably prays the whole time going, God, please, like, I've lost my phone again. Like, I've lost the car keys. Oh, I've got to pick up Amanda. Like, (laughs) so to be fair, he probably prays that whole time. And five years standing in lines. Okay, let's have a look back at this whole secret place prayer, converging with the disciples' prayer, that prayer of community, that actually in those moments, Jesus had incredible, miraculous moments. Now let's times our waiting in line five years. Imagine if in those moments, those private places, where it's just you and God, we started to get the numbers up a bit on that. Imagine the miraculous things that then in our collective prayer, if we bring it to God, could start unlocking the miraculous a little bit more. Five years of waiting in lines, and I've spent five years of waiting in lines complaining about waiting in lines. That's legit what I do. Like, instead of praying, because it's not our default. Prayer is an activity rather than a part of our Christian living. We've made it an activity. We've made it something that we reserve for certain parts of life. We've made it something that isn't in our nothing moments. It's not a part of our everyday. It doesn't permeate into our life. Instead, it sits up on the shelf. But Jesus is actually saying here, we need to let this permeate into our life. Like Jesus is constantly found praying. You should find out and look up all the different times Jesus prays in the Gospels. Jesus is actually saying it needs to be something that permeates in your life with an earnest and humble attitude. Imagine if we started doing that. Imagine if in your waiting, while you're waiting for your hands to get sanitized, you were praying. So no one's talking to you. Are you feeling a little bit alone? Why don't you pray? Like instead we let the feelings, the emotions of insecurity and all those other things start to take over. Prayer shouldn't be just an activity. It should be a part of our Christian living. As in, we live it. Prayer is not something that we should be doing, but that we should live we see this reflected in the Psalms, which contains more prayers in, in, any, in Scripture anywhere else, right? And it comprises of many different types of prayers. Let me give you an example. David is quite an interesting guy, right? And he prays all types of prayers. Psalm 22, verse 14 to 15. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of my death. Like that's, would you pray, yeah, you, would you pray a prayer like that? Maybe, yeah. 
It, like, how emotional is that? Like, this is like David being like, ugh, so melancholic. We laugh at it, but I can tell you, we've all probably had a prayer like that before. Like, I 100% have, oh, God, I don't... Like, and you're just like this wailing, melancholic mess, whether it's from bad grades that you got in your high school assessment or from a place of actual, incredible, crushing pain. We've all had that emotion. But let's look at Psalm 100. Shout for the joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is good. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. It's the same guy. It's the same guy, like his heart had melted to wax and now he's shouting to joy all the earth. That's the same guy. Why? Because David didn't let prayer be something that was an occasional. It was actually in every aspect of his life. That's why you see it through all the different emotions of him. See, our emotions, we get so scared of within ourselves. And it's quite an interesting thing that I feel like there's a shift happening where we've become really afraid of our emotions and they're a bit weird and things like that. Um, But David actually shows us that God meets him in his every emotional moment, not in just special occasions. Your emotions aren't scary or gross to God. They are not too difficult for him. He knows them better than you do. It isn't, it's really interesting that when the fall happened in the garden with Adam and Eve, they covered their nakedness from God, yet God was the one that created their nakedness. Like, you think about that? It's like, this is what what, um, Adam says in Genesis 3.10. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Like how many times have we hid from God because of our shame? God literally created Adam's nakedness and Adam's trying to hide it from God. Like there is nothing about you that God can't see. So that thing that you've been carrying for so long that you have kept dig like down deep that you don't want to confess yet, God sees it, you see it. So why are you not speaking about it? See, prayer actually opens up the conversation. It's like the elephant in the room of your personal life. And once you say it, God's like, well, I'm glad we can talk about this now. But for some reason, we don't like to say it. You know, even in my own prayers, when I'm like, I'm feeling really insecure, but I can't say that I'm feeling really insecure. So I just do that. It's like, hey, God, I'm feeling really insecure. And he's like, hey, Emma, I'm so glad we can actually talk about this. But I, I like keep it hidden from him, even though he can see it. Like the God who created our nakedness, the God who created us completely. And yet here Adam is trying to go, hey, you can't see this. Like, no. Like whatever that thing is that you've been carrying, that you have, there, we've all got something. We've all got something that we're too scared to speak out loud, even in our secret place when no one else is around except for God. But we keep it hidden as if he can't see it. But it's us just saying, you can't deal with it. God, you can't deal with this. It's got nothing to do with him not being able to see you and everything with you believing that he can't deal with your emotions. He can't deal with your shame. He can't deal with your burden. We're actually in our restricting of that prayer, restricting our view of who God truly is. God can see it. God can see you. Whatever it is, God knows it. You know it. It's time to actually give it and speak it out. It's time to actually go in that secret place. No one else has to be around. 
That's not what God is saying. He's not saying throw all your dirty laundry out so everyone can have pickings. No, he's saying bring it to me. Actually confess it to me. Let me start having a conversation with you about it. But we don't let the conversation happen because we don't believe he can do anything with it. At the beginning of this prayer, and we're going to go back into worship, it says, Father, hallowed be your name. When we say our Father, do we fully understand what we're declaring? This is a book of the names of God. And as much as I wanted to try and get all of the names right for you, I'm just going to read, read them out. And whatever resonates with you that you're carrying that you need to give to him, Start calling on that. Why don't you just close your eyes for a moment and listen to these. Elohim, the sovereign, mighty creator. Jehovah, the unchangeable, intimate God. El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. Adonai, Lord and master. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provider. Jehovah Menkedesh, the Lord, my sanctifier. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord, my banner of victory. Jehovah Rothe, the Lord, my health. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, my peace and wholeness. Jehovah Tekenu, the Lord, my righteousness. Jehovah Rohi, the Lord, my shepherd. Jehovah Shema, God is there. El Elyon, God most high. Jehovah Tesboath, the Lord of hosts. Jehovah Meke, the Lord who molds me. Jehovah Mola, the Lord who rewards. Jehovah Elohai, the Lord my God. El Elohai Israel, the personal God of Israel. Jehovah Elohinu, the Lord our God. Church, as we say, Father, as we call on the name of God, above everything else, remember who you're calling on. Remember what power you're calling on. Remember what nature you're calling on in your earnest, humble cry to Him. Remember that as you pray, our Father, it is our Father who your prayers belong to. Why don't you stand with me? And as we enter into worship, that thing that you haven't had the courage to actually speak to God about, like have a conversation with Him about, in this secret place. You're not worrying about anyone else around you. This isn't about anyone else right now. It's about you and God. In this space, would you start having that conversation with Him? We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.